HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Cloud Ride, the first vape juice with flavors created by a James Beard award-winning chef. For more information, visit cloudridevapor.com. Hi, this is Celia Kutcher, host of Animal Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. The Speakeasy is produced by Heritage Radio Network, a nonprofit member-supported radio station devoted to all things food and drinks, especially drinks on a day like today, right? Uh, <laughs> help keep HRN alive by becoming a member today. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart, and we will pour you a whiskey next time when we see you. All right. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll, Lord. Knows that country music's going to save your soul, the Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte. <laughs> My name is Southern Teague. And in the studio today, uh, well, we've already had a lot of fun uh, even before we got started today. <laughs> but um, <laughs> we have our buddy in all the way well, from Kansas way from City. Kansas City, and he's got to get on the flight after the show. So we had to we had to have all of our fun before the show and on the show. But it's, um, it's not over yet. It's not over yet. Just we have in. Ryan Maybe from Kansas City. Uh, today, I mean, guys, you do a lot out there. You've got bars and restaurants, and like you've got well, what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, mostly about is some whiskey. We're going to be talking about some whiskey. So, welcome to the show, man. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. So, how old is Jay Rieger Distillery? Uh, it depends on if you look at it from a modern perspective or historical, because it was founded in 1887. So, uh, what's that? 130 years, uh, almost 129 years. Don't ask me about math right yeah. now. So we're going to, yeah, we'll be 130 <laughs> years old next year. But That's great. Um, like a lot of distilleries back then, they went out of business. They succumbed to prohibition. And um, we, uh, myself and the great, great, great grandson of the founder, his name is Andy Rieger, we partnered to resurrect it from the dead about two years ago. So we brought it back in 2014. That's awesome, man. That's great. The, with so much American history, well, world history in distilleries and breweries, it's, it's always good to hear... You don't hear a lot of these stories, but it's always good to hear a story of resurrection of a classic distillery, especially from where you and I are from. It's you know, really, it's really exciting. I mean, I've lived my entire life in Kansas City. I was born and raised there, and I, I absolutely love it. We're state but, neighbors. Right. It's, it's <laughs> awesome. But I had no idea until just six years ago. Uh, when I was opening my restaurant, that this distillery even existed. Nobody knew. It wasn't like this commonly told 
legend of oh this old distillery, but they were huge. I mean, they were a massive distillery. They had over a hundred products. They had over two hundred and fifty thousand unique customers that they were able to track that they sold and shipped products to all over the country. It was a very big company. It was like a like a Hiram Walker sized yeah. Kind of yeah, they actually they they claimed back uh, back in the early 1900s that they were the largest um, wholesale mail order distributor of whiskey in the country. Jesus! And these guys just disappeared after prohibition. Disappeared just like uh, like so many others. I mean, there's Vapor. probably others out there we don't even know about. Yeah, for sure. Well, Va- vaporized. Yeah, <laughs> totally in thin air. Yeah, man. Um, well, it, it, okay. Just from uh, especially you're saying mail order. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. It's centrally located in the United States. Yeah. So the Pony Express was founded in St. Joseph, Missouri, which is about an hour north of KC. So I'm, I'm guessing that the, most of the, the whiskey that was shipped was uh, Pony Express, if you can imagine that. That's awesome. Wow. We should, That's crazy. We should revive that part. Absolutely. Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> let me, let me convince my business partner, Andy. Let's, yeah, let's oh, bring man. back horses and, and delivery. I wonder what the insurance would be like on that. I mean, surely you had to not dilute at all so it could be less weight on the horses. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you know it, it's really cool. Like I've, I've uh, uh, done a lot of digging into the historical aspect of the of the business, and I have a ton of old order forms and advertisements dating back to the early 1890s. And it was amazing, like how they marketed their brand back then. And basically, they just sent out what would have been considered like spam of today, like a mailer. Yeah, like a mailer where you would say it would have an advertisement, like a, a, a an image of the bottle that was like drawn. You know, and it would say, order a gallon of Rieger's monogram whiskey and get a free pint along with it, all for $2.99. And people would, like, put Outrageous. cash in Outrageous. Right? <laughs> people would put cash in an envelope and mail it back, and then, like, three weeks later, that it would arrive on their doorstep. That's amazing. Dude. Bygone times. Man. <laughs> um, so, wait. Let's rewind a little before we get too deep into the whiskey, which we definitely want to talk about because there's some sitting right here on the table. Um, you have... A bar and a restaurant as well. Correct. And that kind of led you to this. How did that? Yeah, I'm. So you have Manifesto, which is yeah, your bar. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, at my core, I'm a bartender, and that's how I got into all of this. And that's how I, I started. I opened a bar called Manifesto in 2009. And Manifesto was heavily influenced by Milk and Honey and PDT and, you know, the speakeasy style craft cocktail bars that popped up around that time. Um, and I wanted to bring that to Kansas City because I was just in love with the concept, I was in love with the drinks. So I found a spot in the basement of a nearly, it was about a 94-year-old hotel at the time, a beautiful old building in downtown Kansas City that was uh, pretty much, it was pretty sparse back then, like, like downtown KC. It's come a long way since then, but uh, really inexpensive, and I got this little like 800-square-foot uh, basement bar with uh, an entrance in the alley in the back of the building, so it, it kind of fit really well and very naturally into that concept. Uh, so we had the... Uh, like a call button at the back door and no sign, and it was very discreet and everything, and we were doing high-end craft cocktails. Um, about a year later, uh, we, we were really successful, and we, uh, we expanded to open a restaurant on the first floor of the building. Um, at that point, I wanted to learn more about the history of the building and everything. I, I partnered with uh, Chef Howard Hanna to do this beautiful restaurant, and we decided to name it after what the building was. And the building had been, uh, decades ago, a hotel. Uh, it was called the Rieger Hotel. And so we knew we wanted to call the restaurant the Rieger, um, but I wanted to know more about the Rieger name. And in digging around, trying to find as much uh, information as possible, even you know just going to City Hall and digging up old records, uh, I discovered that the Rieger family had a distillery prior to the hotel, and that was the connection. 
So they, they, they got pushed out of business by the noble experiment. Absolutely. And yeah. they went into the hotel business. Well, they, they actually opened the hotel um, about five years before Prohibition. So the, the distillery was really rocking and rolling and, and doing, doing great. And the founder's son then built the hotel in 1915. And then in 1919, Prohibition was voted in and the Volstead was act, uh, enacted in uh, uh, 1920. And, and it put the distillery out of business and they sold the hotel by 1926 and got out of it entirely. Man, so you, you you wouldn't really think like you know? Do you think of Kansas City? Think, we think about like barbecue and blues and like Boulevard Brewery. That's like that's <laughs> what I've always known about it. I love that you know and, Boulevard and, Brewery and, and, and the Royals. Too. Well, I'm from Oklahoma, man. Yeah. Stuff's everywhere. It's, it's awesome. Like Boulevard wheat beer, of course. And it's a great distiller. I mean, like barbecue and blues, just jazz automatically equals whiskey to me, though. So like, exactly. I think sure. about whiskey when I think about that part of the country. Yeah, man. It's it's crazy to hear like that. No, like even like you were saying, man. There was this rich history of stuff that we're all really psyched about, like like this historical account for like this crazy distillery that no one knew about, right? And this awesome hotel that was put out by the family, and like and. I've only, I've only ever thought of like the Kansas City <laughs> Chiefs and the Royals, and you know, right. like, and and barbecue. It's a new era. It's crazy. But I'm proud of our, our uh, barbecue heritage as well. We talked about that earlier. Yeah. And I, I love the fact that uh, uh, we're a barbecue sound. I take great pride in it. Do you do, do, you do barbecue at your restaurant? Well, we're not, we're not like, no, we're not really a barbecue restaurant. I wouldn't say that. But we, you know, one thing that Howard does, my business partner and the chef, he's really great about trying to identify uh, Midwestern uh, cuisine. You know, sure. we're not trying to be a French restaurant. We're not an Italian restaurant. We're not you know, pigeonholed into any category like that. We are a Midwestern regional restaurant and we try to showcase local flavors and styles and techniques and all that. So we do, he does a lot of smoking and he, uh, like for one thing he does, for example, is really cool. We've got barbecue rabbit wings on the menu. Ah. We're not uh, rabbits barbecue. have wings. Well, okay. So they're like, like chicken wings. Think, yeah, it tastes like chicken too. Um, but yeah, like barbecue rabbit, he uses rabbit in a lot of dishes too. So it's very, uh, you know, it's interesting, um, but it's not, over the top. It's like, it's just very true to KC. That's awesome. Also, Kansas City, like we've said before, it's, it's a blues town. It's a very musical town. Do you ever, like, ha- do you ever go over to to Branson and, like, poach some of the old timers oh to come <laughs> croon at your bar? <laughs> no, that is a great idea, though. <laughs> that would be, too. Um, <laughs> man, I haven't been. Like to, a Moon River, like. Branson, <laughs> that, that's something. Um, Man, they need to like just turn Branson into like a like a second Las Vegas. I think yeah, it's, it's like the, the Christian Las Vegas, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> um, no, we have a we have a great music scene in KC, and I'm a big supporter of a lot of local bands. Um, in fact, we're getting ready to do a festival here in, in about three weeks called Paris of the Plains Cocktail Festival. We're in our fifth year, yep, uh, and it's about four days of uh, you know think like tales of the cocktail or like that type of thing, but with a Kansas City spin and music is a very big part of it so we have at all of our events we're showcasing local bands and local music and and incorporating that into it that's awesome man it's amazing what are the dates on that august 26th through the 29th and and how are you involved um i'm one of the founders myself and doug frost uh started a competition in kansas city called the greater kansas city bartending competition about 10 years ago and that uh just morphed into a multi-day festival it started out as one day and now it's multiple days and we've got um, uh, just uh, like every bartender in town, just you know, has kind of teamed together to, to make this thing happen. That's awesome. And we were talking about this before the show. You and I were about like the the 
kind of evolution of the bar community in Kansas City and how you'd started the Kansas City Bartenders Association and then that eventually blossomed into the USBG chapter. Yeah. And how you have like a really strong It's amazing. I think we have one of the best, most tight knit communities. Uh, and I'm sure you're gonna you hear that from anywhere anywhere in the country, you know, everyone has a, a lot of local civic pride, but you know, I think we have a tremendous community of bartenders that look out for each other and help each other and, and learn from each other and uh, support all the other restaurants. We all want more. You know what I mean? It's one of those things about Kansas City. You know, we're a, we're a, a vibrant uh, city with a lot going on, but there's so much room to grow as well. So I think kind of helping each other out and always welcoming more people into the fold, welcoming more bars into the fold. We don't really look at it as competition. It's that, like we're helping each other out. Yeah, the high tide raises all boats. Right. Yeah. yeah. Cool, man. All right. Well, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, let's... Let's get into this whiskey, man. Yeah, it's just like, I'm ready. It's just staring at my us. My mouth is watering. <laughs> Good God. All right, we'll be back in just a moment with Ryan Maybe. Yeah. Music for this commercial break is brought to you by Citizens Rise, and this track is called Bad Citizen. All right, last week during the break, we got a chance to talk about a new sponsor Cloud Ride. Cloud Ride. Uh, we actually. Uh, so you've never vaped any I've never in my life yeah i'm about to yeah so last week we talked about some of the flavors and we found a vape pen a yep. g pen right it's called uh so we're gonna try out one of the flavors today um and i didn't realize this okay so i think i called it oil last week on the show no it's but juice. apparently that's yeah it's juice it's it's like e-juice vape <laughs> juice e-liquid um <laughs> And apparently, like, oil is, like, specific to, like, the marijuana. Yeah. Which I... Well, which we're not going to talk about. We're not going <clears> to... <throat> well, I don't know if we can yet. We can't. Whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, let's see. Which one are we trying today? All right. Let me look through these. Let's you got see. Smoky Oaky. You got... Uh, Dude, I, I'm... Tobacco Lope. Yeah, I'm going with the perfect pina, all right? <laughs> is, it, um, is, that, is that a pina colada or is that I, pineapple? I, I think it's, it's oh, more... It's a good question. Well, let's, let's figure it out. So, perfect pina. Perfectly ripe pineapples blended with orange, tangerine, and vanilla shisha. Will whisk you away. Pineapple whisk. Whisk you okay, away. I'm doing, I'm doing it. I'm You're doing it. It's lit up. I see We it. had to go on the internet to find out how to use one of these things. <laughs> a YouTube <laughs> YouTube video on how to fill the thing and make it work. I've never done either. Uh, it's like... It's it's pineapple and citrus. Past the Dutchie. Okay, hold it. Okay, here's what you want to do. Hold that thing down. It's going to turn blue. And then give it some puffs. Yeah. You doing it right? Did I Did I just smoke it all? Did I vape it all? Oh, no, you, there, there it is. There you go. There you got it. What do you think, man? It's like it's like inhaling the beach. That's, I was thinking the same thing. Ryan, you, you willing to give this a try? I am. I'm having really weird flashbacks right now of my, <laughs> my parents' basement in 1992. <laughs> uh, what do I do here? Hold down you the hold button until the, the light. Button on the side. Oh, 
That yeah. one? Yeah. Yeah, see? Everything okay. turns blue. Then, All right. Puff, puff, puff. puff. Oh, you're hitting it better than me. Oh, man. Yeah. He's a pro. Dude, this studio is... It smells great in here. <laughs> yeah, it's what do you think, man? So the whole um, thing with this company, yeah. Ryan, uh, is that it is... They decided to kind of elevate the vape juice game. So they have... All these uh, flavor combinations are created by James Beard, award-winning chef. And the ones we have in here... Actually, there's... We had six of them, but one of them went missing. Mm. <laughs> it's, you know... Over a, a, a week of them just hanging out in the studio, you know, somebody... Somebody pilfered. Somebody pilfered. But, uh, yeah, so they have actually more more flavors than these. These are actually a lot of these. Like, there's Smoky Oki, Perfect Pina, Moya, there's... Uh, they, this is kind of like the, the beach trip. Yeah. Like... It's like... The cocktail for your lungs, right? It's like, it's uh, like breathing pineapple upside down cake while at the beach, which already smells like... Coconuts and pineapple. Yeah, man. I'm feeling whisked away. Hey, I am. We're we're at the beach right now. We sure On are. A cloudy Brooklyn afternoon. Yeah, man. Well, it's cloud ride. We're riding the cloud, man. <laughs> so this stuff is made in USA, 100% made in USA. Um, and if you want to try this out, if you do indeed vape and not smoke cigarettes, which is good for you, um, you can use the code word "speak" to get 20% off of your order. And you can check it out at cloudradvapor.com. All right, so we're going to try another one of these flavors next week. Yes. So tune in for that. Indeed. You're listening to Speakeasy, and in the studio today we have Ryan Maybe, uh, Rigger Distillery in in Kansas City, Missouri. Also, uh, a bar, a restaurant, the USB re- the, the, like yeah, this guy's re- all over the place. The restaurant's attached to what used to be the Rigger Hotel. It's not a hotel anymore. No, it's no longer a hotel. Um, it's residential. Um, people but, live above your bar. That's awesome. Well, okay, so it's technically residential, but. Um, so Eric Hosmer, the first baseman for the Kansas City Royals, lived up there last year, the year that the Royals won the World Series, nice. which was great because he would be at Manifesto. Like whenever they were, they had a homestand, he would be in Manifesto three, four nights a week. That's awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> um, but he he didn't live there this year, and so the owner of the building um, is, is one. Doing, is it one residence? It's one massive residence. I mean, like. 3,000 square feet on one floor and 2,000 square feet on another that's all connected with a rooftop deck 
that's just stunning. So wait, this was a hotel, and then they broke down all the walls to make it like yeah. a big loft. Kind yeah, of. like back in 2000, um, oh. uh, someone bought the building and com- put like five million dollars into it and just gutted it and made it wow. beautiful. And it was cool. their private residence. But then he moved out a few years ago, and now it's more like an Airbnb type thing. So it's not really a hotel, but it's also not not a hotel. You can huh. stay there. I can't even imagine what that costs to rent. <laughs> One, uh, well, it's over a grand a night. I know that. Yeah, that makes a lot yeah. of sense. A night? Jesus yeah. Christ. Um, um, okay, well, while we were on the break in vaping, <coughs> I, uh, I got a little high, frankly. Uh, but I also poured some of this beautiful whiskey. Um, the Rieger's Kansas City Whiskey says right on the bottle, Kansas City Whiskey. I've definitely never seen that before. Um, and you discovered some things about this uh, distillery that you mm-hmm. decided to resurrect, and those things that you discovered are in this bottle. So you're going to talk about that, right? Yeah. So the re- the recipe for the whiskey. Here's what we did. First off, it's a, it's a blended whiskey that we sourced multiple uh, barrels from, uh, like so many startup brands do. Because one thing, we have a, a functional distillery. We have two stills, but we didn't want to release a young product. We didn't want to release an underage, immature whiskey. Um, so we started out by sourcing barrels, and the blend here is really unique. We've got a blend, uh, the youngest part being four-year-old bourbon. Uh, we have some five-year-old straight rye in there and nine-year-old corn whiskey. Uh, corn whiskey is 99% corn, 1% malt, and it's aged in second-use bourbon barrels. Uh, really, really cool. But the, I think the, the most interesting aspect of it is when I was researching um, the history of American whiskey dating back to the time period when J. Rieger & Co. was founded, Back then, there was very little regulation like we have today. And also, like straight bourbon, straight rye, that's four, five, six years old, eight, ten, Pappy Van Winkle. That kind of stuff just didn't exist. People didn't drink it. It was mostly a lot younger. Um, it was also a lot of it was rectified. What that meant was that they were adding all kinds of weird shit into the whiskey that uh, some good, some bad. Right. Um, but one of the ingredients, if you look at the TTB beverage alcohol manual, um, Who one looks the, at that? Nah, <laughs> I, I wouldn't recommend it. It's, it's pretty dry reading. But um, there's like in fine print at the very end of it is two sentences on how you can legally add up to 2.5% sherry and still call it American whiskey. And when I read that and when I heard that, um, I was with Dave Pickerel, uh, who is the former master distiller at Four Roses. Yep. Or, I'm sorry, not Four Roses, uh, Maker's, Maker's Mark. Um, and he's a, kind of a consulting partner uh, on our distillery. And uh, I was just blown away. I'm like, I'm just absolutely in love with this idea. And my first question was, why is this rule here? Why is this law here? And my second question was, is anybody else doing it? And the answer was, in American whiskey, no. Nobody's doing that at all. And the reason that law is there is because it was allowed back in that time period when J. Rieger & Co. was founded. And so I was immediately just in love with the idea of doing this. And so... Fuck yeah, whiskey and sherry? Uh, Absolutely. Nothing wrong with that. You know, I I was already a big fan of sherry just from the cocktail world, like using it in cocktails. And and I uh, had a a previous life more connected to the the wine world. And uh, so I was in love with the idea of doing that. And uh, so I went to Hereth with uh, Steve Olson, who is one of the the best, (laughs) you know, sherry experts in the world. The sherry mind, yes. Yeah, and... A.K.A. Wine Geek. Yep. And uh, we... Uh, we ran around Hereth to the different bodegas and started talking to them about you know sourcing different sherries for uh, for this project and also we're trying to work out a business relationship with them and we ended up landing on a 15 year old Oloroso sherry from Williams and Humbert and it constitutes less than two percent of the blend but it's really profound yeah, it's when very you taste forward. it yeah uh, the other cool thing is when we sent the recipe to the TTB and we finally got it dialed in 
uh, we sent the recipe to the TTB, and I was all all stoked about it and everything, and and they approved it, but they were really confused. They were like, "We can, you can do this, but there's this doesn't fit into any current category of American whiskey, not even blended whiskey. Uh, it doesn't qualify because you have three whiskey. different whiskeys right. plus the sherry now, right? Um, and so they said the only thing you can call it is whiskey, like just plain whiskey, you know. Um, and I actually I was I was okay with that because I I knew I believe what was in the bottle, but um, I said, well, what if we were to call it Kansas City whiskey? Because we're reviving a, a distillery that was around during that time period when this was more common, that, that died with prohibition. And also, nobody else in the country is doing this. So can we call it Kansas City whiskey as a style, as a category? Like a designation and, of its own. Right. And kind of much to our surprise, they said yes. They agreed to let us do it. That's awesome, man. And there it is right on the bottle. There it is. Kansas City whiskey. Riegers. Dude, it's um, and I think it's important to, important to at least fine line the idea because we're on on the radio and maybe people aren't paying enough attention. But this is not a whiskey that's finished in a sherry cask. It is this not. This is whiskey finished with sherry up to two point five percent. We literally receive the sherry in bottles, in bottles, <laughs> in a canister, and we have to pop open the you know the cans and yeah. have to pop open the canisters and pull out the bottle and the foil and the cork. And we literally dump the bottles so we, into you the blending tank. Finished with sherry because that's even yeah. confusing, right? We, no, we say sherry finish, not finished with sherry. It's just it's it's whiskey and sherry. It's together. a blend, yeah. And and the sherry is a very very small part of it, but yeah, less, it's an you, important. You said part. you can go up to two point five, but you you're can doing go up less to two point five, right? But we ours is just a little bit under two. We just you know just for the flavor profile that, that we were going for because yeah. it's there, but it's not overpowering. Mm-hmm. And I also wouldn't say that it's necessarily sweet. That's one thing that. A lot of people will say, well, does that make it really sweet? Not really. I mean, it's 92 proof. You know, it's 40, 46% ABV, so it's got some kick to it, but it's just got that, like, richness in the center of the palate. Yeah. And it's not like Oloroso sherry sweet anyway. I mean, right. sherry has a, like, a... A nuttiness of... Yeah, but it also has a, a connotation of being thought of as sweet because people think of cooking sherry. Yeah, I think like it's a misunderstood sherry. category. You yeah. know, you've got you've got sherries out there that can run the gamut of like literally thick like syrup like Pedro Jimenez and then the really dry Actually, ones. One of my one of my favorite cherries is the Williams and Humbert uh, 20-year-old Pedro Jimenez, which is yeah. like that thing is deep and dank, man. It's right. it it like that thing comes off your palate like a minute and a half later and you <laughs> go through like a total trip. You know, it's really, it's really cool, though, and we experimented with different styles. We experimented with everything from Fino up to the PX like that. Uh, for our purposes, that uh, it's kind of a medium-sweet 15-year-old Oloroso. That's what just worked the best. But imagine taking a different mash grain or mash bill of whiskey, like say you're making a malt whiskey, and you added a, a drier Amontillado to it. You sure, know, right. you, could, you could get really creative within that, that, that realm. Sure, and I'm really also shocked at how... I didn't realize it was 92 proof until you said so. Yeah. I, I checked the bottle to make sure you weren't lying. <laughs> <clears throat> Maybe. Dude. Um, it really is soft and, and approachable on the palate. It's, you know, it's it's halfway to being a cocktail already. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe a dash of bitters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's you and your bitters bar. Hey, listen. <laughs> so this is awesome. So this was your first product that you produced. That was, yeah. And then, and, and you still do. Um, I mean, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, we featured it at two weeks' notice this past week. Yeah, sure did. Actually, there's a lot of bars around New York that currently have this whiskey in cocktails on the menu, and oh, they're wow. rocking with it. Like Death and Co is just selling the selling the crap out of it, and so is PDT. Uh, they have a, a cocktail on the menu. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm seeing it. It's we're starting to get some traction. I mean, we're relatively new here in, in New York, but I think we're 
we have some support from some good friends and, and great places, and it's, it's getting some traction. That's great. Really cool. Awesome. Well, you know what? Let's talk about some of the other products you have, man. Like, you, you, you have uh, a gin, and then you also have this other whiskey, uh, and then uh, an Amaro that you started making, a Cafe Amaro. Yeah, so we, uh, you know, we, we do a vodka. Um, you do uh, two, right? Two labels at least? Uh, two labels of... Of the vodka. No, there's just one vodka. Okay. Uh, the vodka is actually a, a mixed uh, a mix of different uh, neutral grain spirits. So it's corn, wheat, and potato, and we give it a single run through our, our copper still, the same one that we make whiskey on, uh, just so we can give it a heads and tails cut and give it some body. So it's more of a, a full flavored, full bodied style vodka. The gin, the gin, I, I'm absolutely uh, just enamored with it, and I can't take really any credit for it. But we were fortunate enough to bring on literally the world's best master distiller Legend. of gin. Uh, yeah, he's a legend. Uh, Tom Nickel. He mm-hmm. worked for Tanqueray for 42 years, and he's responsible for making all of it. Uh, he developed Tanqueray Number no. 10 and Malacca, and uh, he's just an absolute genius when it comes to that. And making gin is not easy. You know, right. there's a lot of subtlety and a lot of nuance to it. So having uh, that kind of a resource uh, is incredibly valuable. And we also wanted to do a gin. Um, I think one thing with domestic gins, um, American gins. Uh, there's a, a tendency to get really far away from like classic London dry style. And the problem with that is, as a bartender, if the juniper is really dialed back and then there's a whole bunch of like flowers and other components, how well is that going to work in a classic cocktail, like, say, a Negroni or a, a Tom right. Collins or something like that that's already like Can tried get, and true and right. proven? Sure. So we wanted, <clears throat> we wanted to do a very traditional classic London dry style of gin just to the best of our abilities and Tom was the guy for that. Amazing. Yeah, man. You really then, did your Rieger search on that. <laughs> <laughs> the puns. Oh, here come God. the puns. Okay, <laughs> well, we have a second bottle sitting here on the table, which I'm, my interest has certainly peaked. Um, you're producing now <clears throat> an Amaro. Yeah, um, this, is a, this has been a fun little, uh, little experiment. Um, you know, being... You know, kind of like a small, a small distillery, small business. We have the ability to be real creative and, you know, try something and, you know, hopefully not fuck it up. But uh, um, this is something I've wanted to do for a long time. I love coffee and I love Amaro, and I don't Double have buzz. right. I don't have uh, a huge sweet tooth, so I like to drink like coffee or espresso and Amaro side by side, like after a meal. And then I was like, why isn't why can't I just put these two together? So I started experimenting with making a, a coffee liqueur at Manifesto several years ago just for cocktails, and it slowly evolved into this bitter um, experiment. Um, and so what we ended up with here is a Cafe Amaro, what we call Cafe Amaro. And the primary, the primary flavor is, is coffee, but you'll notice that it's got that botanical, herbal, bitter uh, element on the back end, and it's been a it's been a really fun project. It's been real exciting, and we also got to partner with a local coffee roaster that selected the coffee beans and did the roast and made um, basically a large giant batch of cold brew for us. And then we took the cold brew and mixed it with the macerated the alcohol that was macerating with all the spices and botanicals and all that, blended those two together, and then put it in used whiskey barrels. Man, it's it's roasty, but it's it also smells like. Very vegetal and green. Yeah, I, yeah. It's gonna say it's like roasty, but it's got like delicate parts to it. It's like, and I don't even <clears> drink <throat> coffee, man. This is actually making me feel really good. It's like I've missed coffee. I can't. I can't. 
handle it. There's anymore. definitely caffeine in it too. <laughs> I, I have no idea how much. I don't even know how to figure that out. But I, I can get tell Dave you. Arnold on the scene. <laughs> but I mean, it's it's a you know it's a cold brew, and and so there's there's definitely some caffeine in there. Well, I'm gonna I, be jacked. I mean, I <laughs> I'm in love with it. It's um, so different than any other coffee product that's on back bars. They're all just cloyingly sweet. I'm not going to name any names. Yeah, this is dry as fuck. This is dry coffee. So, but it's coffee. But it's, what's it's coffee? Both. It's both. Yeah. What's crazy. the availability on this? Like, what's the... Okay, so, right, so, this brand so new, you yeah. guys are actually one of the very first to try this. This hey. bottle, yeah. I literally... I've been in town for four days, and before I came out here, I pulled enough out of the uh, barrel um, just to make two bottles. And I left one at home so that I can start working on cocktail recipe development, and I brought one here with me to share with... My friends. And we're finishing the bottle right now. Right. Yeah, we we're at the bottom. <laughs> Thanks for saying that, off. man. Yeah. Dude, you have no idea how hard it has been. The last four days, I've been <laughs> carrying light. it. I have been carrying it with me all over New York, Southern Contest. Yeah, on Sunday, I had it at Amoria Margo. And this is the only bottle. I'm like, I've got to make sure I have enough for uh, Wednesday afternoon. Awesome, dude. So it worked out Thanks just right. That, man. That's awesome. Cheers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, this is really cool. Dude, I... Yeah, like I said, I don't drink coffee. I, I, I'm definitely finishing this. Um, so let's talk about Left for Dead. Yeah, Left for Dead. So Left for Dead Such is a cool uh, idea. Left for Dead. You know, so we co- we collaborate with a, a local coffee roaster for this, and in the, much in the same vein, we wanted to collaborate with a local brewery in KC, Boulevard Brewing Company. You mentioned earlier, they have just blown up. I mean, they've been around since 1989. Um, they uh, three years ago or so they got bought by uh, Dufel Marquette out of Belgium, and they're continuing to to just grow and do amazing things. But one thing that I learned recently, so our head distiller Nathan Perry, he worked at Boulevard for a lot of years, and he was in their quality control department. He has a, a chemistry background, uh, so he knew the inner workings of of that process and that company. And he was telling us about how they dump tens of thousands of gallons of beer down the drain every year. What? Yes. <laughs> I know. That was my that was my reaction exactly. And we were just all mortified. Like, why would they do that? Um, but, you know, they had good reason for it. It was either test brews, you know, that the, they were just working on ideas, or they had really strict standards when it comes to shipping. Like, if it at any point gets out of the temperature range, they don't even take a chance sending it on to the right. distributor. They just bring it back. So, whatever the case may be, Whenever they pour that whiskey down or the beer down the drain, um, they've they've already spent a ton of money, you know, making it, bottling it, all that. But then, in addition to that, they have to pay the the federal excise taxes on the alcohol, and then on top of that, they have to pay a disposal fee to the city of Kansas City for pouring all that stuff into the sewage system. Wow. So, we worked out a deal with them where we said, "Why don't you just give it to us? Why don't you just give us your beer that you don't want, transfer it to us, so we'll take the taxes." And then we will just put it in our still, and we'll distill it. And we don't know how it's going to turn out, but... But there's no disposal cost either. No, so they save money. They're they're saving money on the taxes and the disposal. Uh, And we're saving money because they're just giving it to us. And we don't have, you know, the whiskeys that we're making, we're doing from grain. And so the fermentation's already done. Uh, The biggest pain in the ass about it is that we're getting bottles. You know, we're getting like a Uh, pallet of cases uh, that's that's bottled. Um, So our, our staff... Uh, we have a, a very small team. We've got three three employees at the distillery. That whenever we get this pallet of like beer in, they have to pop open all the bottles and dump it into a tank. You know, so um, get volunteer night happening. Yeah, right. seriously, <laughs> um, round up, up the regulars from Manifesto. <laughs> yeah, so we're taking that 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 leftover uh, beer from Boulevard and we're just putting in the still and distilling it. 
That, that's it. That beer that would be left for dead. Right. And that's the vodka. Yeah. We're, well, it's not vodka because it's. Well, what are we calling it? We legally you have to call it uh, a specialty distilled spirit. Um, the closest way I can describe it would be white whiskey. Some people will get angry with me calling it white whiskey, but that's the closest thing that you can associate it with because it mostly comes from grain. The reason you can't label it like whiskey is because there are other ingredients in it, like hops. Sure, of course. Right, but it's a it's a grain for the most part. Um, so it's it's more or less it comes off like whiskey, and we're not really doing any aging. We have like one barrel aging right now. We might do something with later, but the cool thing is, what I think is really awesome about it is that. It's pure. You know, it's just the pure spirit extract from the beer. And it's right off the still. We bottle it at 89 proof. And it tastes like, it's like the essence of the beer. And they're all so different. So, like, batch number one was made from unfiltered wheat beer. And batch number two was made from imperial stout. And the difference, even though it was bottled at the same proof, the and we didn't do anything different, the difference is night and day. So it's kind of a nerdy educational moment, you know, to like, like see the connection between beer and whiskey like or the, spirit. It's like the beer schnapps you get in exactly all over the country, all, right. over, the, all over Europe. Um, yeah. So then, uh, where is this stuff going? Is it staying local? Is there big enough production to get it out there, or are you guys just doing beer, well beer and shot specials with Boulevard Beer? <laughs> so we we're we're kind of limited to whatever they give us, sure, right? So so far we've distilled like the first ten batches. And they range between 350 bottles, and we're we're doing all these in in uh, 375s, half yeah. bottles. Mm-hmm. Um, we're getting anywhere from 350 bottles up to maybe a thousand, which is not a lot. Right. Um, so most of it's staying local because of the local um, pride in Boulevard and, and support for Boulevard. Boulevard people are going crazy for it, but we're getting some out to like can Omaha you, and. Can you send like a Pony Express with that shit out to Brooklyn? Yeah. I might be able to hook you up. That would be cool, actually. <laughs> right here to right here to Harry. That'd be our Radio first Network. Pony Express uh, experiment of 2016. That'd be awesome, man. And it's yeah. such a great idea, man. Because like like you said, you know, like it's there. Well, and and, and this is the use. nature of you know the word you used before. This is this is a community building. Yeah. effort you know you've you've got those guys doing their thing you're doing your thing let's do our thing together in a way that makes that doing the thing why not better yeah, yeah. it's amazing well dude good I, on you for that I, I have to say it's been a pleasure having you on the show I don't want to carry, carry this on too much longer because I know you got to get your flight oh yeah no you, you already changed your flight to be on the show today which I really appreciate man uh, but yeah check out what's okay so tell us the website yeah go to jriegerco.com and uh, that's j-r-i-e-g-e-r-c-o.com um, we also have a new website going up for the Rieger, the restaurant. We've been rebuilding it for a while, um, and that's theriegerkc.com. Uh, so there's obviously a familial connection there. Um, but, yeah, and then we got Pop Fest coming up in a few weeks in KC, too. And I, w- I would just say, you know, if uh, if you haven't been to KC, you know, what are you waiting for? Pop Fest, yeah. Paris of the Plains. <laughs> what are the dates again? Uh, the 26th through the 29th of this month. Right on. Nice. Well, cool, man. Ryan, maybe can't thank you enough for being on the show today. Uh, thanks for indulging us with your whiskey and the cafe tomorrow uh really cool stuff man and Thank really you. really happy stories. that uh from one you know great plains person to the next you know it's like <laughs> I, I really uh i really appreciate uh what's happening in kansas city and what you've been doing man thank you I, yeah I really appreciate the community that. you're building in there is amazing thank you so join us next week when we'll have chris louder uh on the air all the way from seoul south korea he's the head bartender at charles h inside of uh the new Seoul, South Korea, um, Four Seasons Hotel. Um, yeah, good guy. I love the guy. name of that bar, by the way. He's, oh, yeah, Charles I love H. The name. Named after Charles H. Baker. Uh, he's going to teach us about uh, MVP Champ. <laughs> Stay tuned. Stay tuned to hear about that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. 
All right. Well, that's it for this week. Check out Heritage Radio Network for many more programs like this. Until then, cheers, guys. Guys, thank you. Ding. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.